Hey, good morning, everyone. A couple years ago, Kathleen and I had to uh, go shopping for a new bed mattress. Now, this has been years since we shopped for a bed mattress, and it got to the point to where, you know, the, the mattress starts to form a V in the middle, you know, and, and listen, I love my wife, okay, don't get me wrong. How many know what morning breath is? Okay, that's all I need to explain. Okay, so we needed a bed that was not like this, but more like this, right? Um, and so we, uh, we walked into a, a sleep store, and uh, let me just tell you, things have changed in the sleep store since the last time I bought a mattress, like when we were first married, like 25 years ago. And the choices are overwhelming if, if you've been there not too long ago. You have uh, temper Peter foam air-cooled sleep number. How many of you still have a water mattress? How many still, don't even raise your hand if you do, okay? Um, um, uh, hydraulic, organic, environmentally correct beds, adjustable beds. And then, then you got the pillows. You know, then you got the memory pillows and the body pillows. And then to top it all off, they get you out of the door buying a Snuggie. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy when you go to buy a bed. The sleep industry is a $32 billion industry. And, and what does this all revolve around? It all revolves around our comfort and getting a good night's rest. And, and, and so it really, it's just amazing the amount of choices um, that you have when it comes to buying a mattress for your sleep. And I, you know, just comfort is a huge thing in our world today. I can remember as a kid, um, barely anyone had air conditioners in their house. You just didn't have one. And so when it was hot and I would complain, my dad would, my mom would go into the bathroom and get a a washcloth and wet it. And here you go. That was my air conditioner. Go to bed with a wet washcloth on your face. Just wipe yourself off when you get hot. That, that was it. And now everybody has air conditioners. And, and so, you know, when we think about our society, a lot of it revolves around our comfort, making life easy. And, and, and you know, it's not wrong to want to be comfortable, not necessarily, um, but that kind of thinking, that kind of mentality, if we're not careful, can kind of slip into our walk with Christ, can it? Where we tend to kind of look at maybe our walk with Jesus is something where he's there for our, our comfort. And, and, and maybe it's easy for us to want a comfortable Jesus who would not ask much of me and that would more or less fit into my lifestyle. But when Jesus makes the calls, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks about not a fan. When Jesus makes a call to his followers, he says in Luke 9, 23, and he says, if anyone comes after me, let him do what? What does it say? Deny himself, deny himself the sleep number bed, right? No, I'm just teasing. Deny himself and, and take up his cross and daily follow me. Now, now this verse does come in conflict with, with a comfortable Christianity. And so what does Jesus mean? And this is what I want to dig, in, dig into this morning. What does Jesus mean when he says to take up your cross and follow him? Because we, we all hear the saying when we say, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. And we say, you know, I'm just, just bearing 
my cross, when, you know, when we have a hangnail or we have any kind of inconvenience, we say something like that. But I want you to understand this morning, the cross is the central message of Christianity. And, and I want to really dig into what is the meaning behind the cross? Because in our day and age, we, we have a much sanitized view of the cross. It's, it's, it's in our church here. Uh, we wear it as jewelry. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to give you a glimpse of, of what the cross meant in the first century because it had a completely different meaning during Jesus's time when Rome was ruling the area. And I believe that the cross of Christ is the most powerful message for a hurting world today. And, and even though that the, the, the picture of the cross and the acts of the cross and what Jesus did for us happened more than 2,000 years ago, I believe that message is so relevant for our world today. How many know our world is just a mist today? We are chasing after so many things and so many philosophies, and we don't even know what the definition of half the things are anymore. We have just lost our way, and I believe the message of the cross brings all those things back into order. And that's why I really want to focus on that today and, and the understanding, the meaning of the cross, and, and that the cross is the answer for our world today. So what I want to look at is I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because what the Apostle Paul does here is he explains the message of the cross and why this is so relevant for, for those that were listening to Paul's letter 2,000 years ago and for us living today in 2015. And let's see what the... I'm going to look at verses 18 through 25. And this is what Paul says about the message of the cross. Now, I want you to understand that Paul is speaking to a society that is enriched in architecture and and art, and philosophy, and the wisdom of man. And, and, and this isn't where people would gather, gather together in, in, in town circles in the center of, of many places like Corinth and, and would just debate about the philosophies. What do the Stoics say? What do the Epicureans say? And they would debate about all these different philosophies. And, and they took so much pride in their wisdom and their knowledge and their art. And so all of a sudden, the message of the cross comes into this this world, and it seems like complete nonsense. And, and listen to how Paul explains this. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those that are headed for destruction. But to we who are being saved, no, it is the very power of God. As scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard, and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosopher, the scholar, and the world's brilliant debaters who he's speaking directly to in that society? He says, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel God uses to save souls. Not, not, not who is the best order, not, not, not who is the best at debating, but the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. In verse 22, it said, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek 
human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Can I get an amen to God's word? So, so what Paul is doing in this chapter, Paul in this chapter of Corinthians is, is telling us how the world sees the cross, the Corinthian culture full of its uh, philosophy and education and architecture. Um, they see it as foolishness. It, it doesn't make sense. The cross is, is nonsense. And, and, and the fact in the first century, the cross was really the epitome of, of, of weakness. Think about it for a moment. Um, God came to earth in the form of man to be crucified. And on the surface, that makes no sense that God himself would come in human form. This comes totally against the philosophy and, and the world religions of that time. Why would God come in human form and then die on a cross? That seems so hopeless. That seems like defeat. Why would God use the symbol of torture and death and weakness to save the world? The cross was used to torture people. If, 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 think about it this way. If someone from the first century would come in our churches today and, and witness a, a cross hanging on a wall, they would think we were crazy. It, let, me, let me put it this way. It, it would be the same as wearing an electric chair around your neck or a, or, or a guillotine around your neck. And unless you're Alice Cooper, this makes no sense, right? So, so get the picture. The first century church would walk in our churches today or see people wearing around their neck and they would think, what? That's a picture of torture. That's what people die on. That's, that's an execution device. For the first century person, the cross meant weakness and shame, not power. Now, what makes the cross so beautiful to us today and why we would wear something so shameful around our neck or hang it on our walls or display a cross in our churches, here's what God does. He takes something that from a human perspective, which is foolish and shameful and even a curse, and he takes something that, that has no glory or carries no honor, he takes that thing to be the least likely symbol for love, forgiveness, and life. And God says, I'm going to use that. God says, I'm, I'm going I'm to use that. I'm going I'm to completely um, use something that everybody thinks has no power, no, no glory, is shameful, is used for an execution uh, torture device. I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to display my glory through it. I'm going to take the thing that seems the weakest, that seems the most shameful, and I'm going to turn that thing around and use it as a picture of triumph and glory for me. That's God. Now, now, you're not there yet, but you're going to get excited in about 10 minutes, okay? So just get ready because I think this is going to make more sense. Here's what, here's what, here's what, here's what God does. God surprises everyone. And he says, watch what I can do with this thing. God surprises everyone by taking the foolish, 
shameful things like the cross and says, I will use this to actually save people from their sins. Is that amazing? God says, I'm going to use this very thing to save people from their sins. In fact, Paul in verse 18 says that God takes what the world sees as foolish and he turns it around to something very powerful. I like what a scholar, Leon Morris, says it this way. Um, The message of the cross, it's not simple. It's just not simple, good advice. Um, the, The message of the gospel is not just telling us what we should do, nor is it information about God's power. The cross is God's power. It shows that he takes something that is weak and shameful and uses it for his glory. The, the word foolish in the Greek literally means nonsense. It, 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 it literally means saltless or no flavor. It means tasteless. So, so the people of that time would look at the cross or the message of the cross as foolish. It, it, it's tasteless. It has no flavor. Why do we even talk about this? This is, this is ridiculous. Something that is saltless has, has lost its flavor and it's useless. It's like chewing on a piece of gum that's lost its flavor and you just keep chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. It's just useless. Um, God says, I'm going to use that which seems like nonsense, what seems to have no use, I'm going to use that thing, the cross, to actually show my power. And I believe that's what separates Christianity from every other religious belief. Here's the thing that that separates what we believe about God and what we believe about Jesus Christ is God's grace. God does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's not us trying to reach God by how high we can get on our moral code. God says, you can't do it. I'm going to come down. I'm going to take foolish things, weak things, and I'm going to come and I'm going to use those things to save mankind from their sins. And he uses it through the cross. So God's going to show that his foolishness, quote unquote, God's foolishness, is wiser than man's wisdom and that the weakness of God is stronger than anything man could ever produce. And here's the thing that I just chuckle about. Uh, The more we find out about the universe, you know, man, you know, especially the Hubble telescope and what they're discovering on Mars and so on and so forth. It's like man's always patting themselves on the back. Look how wise I am. And then God is saying, I'm just, that's just a part of my glory. You know, that, that's just a, a part of it. And the more we understand and the more we understand the complexity of the universe, the more we see God's handiwork and his design in everything. And the more we see the foolishness of man to try to figure it out that it's in his knowledge that he's found and discovered all these things. And God says, oh, really? You discovered these things. God displayed these things to show his glory so that we could know him. And know our creator. And know that, that, that he is the designer of all these things. And so what God is doing is he's, he's going to show his foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. And that the weakness of God is stronger than anything man can produce. So, so if, if, you, if you had your bulletins and there's notes, you want to take notes. These are, let me just write these in because I, th- this is important for us to understand. Because I want you to see the power of the cross here and just write these down or or if they're in their notes, but look at these things because I want to look at what God does with the cross and in the way the world looks at the cross and then the way God uses it 
to display his power and his glory. So let's look at a couple of these things. To the world, the cross represented defeat. To those that would die in the cross, that meant it was Rome's power over you uh, because you broke some law or whatever it was, and you would hang on there as a public humiliation. So it represented defeat. Here's the very thing that Jesus hangs on. And so to the world, the cross represented defeat, but God turned it around to use it as a symbol of victory. What the world saw as defeat, God turned around to show through Jesus' resurrection that it actually now becomes a symbol of victory. The cross would be the means by which Jesus would conquer sin and death and three days later rise from the grave. And so it no longer is a, is a symbol of defeat is now a symbol of victory that death no longer has its grip on us, that death no longer has its sting over us, that when we look at the empty cross, we don't see Jesus hanging on there anymore. We see Jesus now seated at the right hand of God, forever interceding for his children. That's our hope. Our hope is not ended here. Our hope goes beyond the cross to heaven where Jesus is. Amen. Amen. Are you guys awake this morning? I just feel like I'm just preaching myself. Okay, here we go. Woo, let's go. All right. So let's look at the next thing here. To the world, the cross represented guilt. And then what God does, guilt of their shame, guilt of their sin, whatever, whatever, whatever they did to, to be hanging there, it represented guilt. God now turns it around to use, this, use it as a symbol of his Grace. What God does here, he gives us his only son to die for our sins. And then he becomes actually a sin offering for you and I, his substitutionary death, which we should have died for our sins. But Jesus, by God's grace, dies for our sins in our place. So now it, 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 at first it represents guilt, the guilt of sin. And now when we look at the cross, it's no more guilt there, but it actually is a symbol of God's grace to allow his only begotten son, his perfect son to die for our sins through God's grace that we could find forgiveness of our sins to the world. The cross represented condemnation pointing at your sin. When people hung on the cross, it was, it was condemning. It was pointing at their, at their guilt and the condemnation of their sin. But then God turns it around to a symbol of freedom that no longer is that thing going to hold us down. No longer can sin point and condemn us any longer. But now through the empty cross, we can see the symbol of God's freedom. The cross sets us free from the condemnation of sin. So now when we look at the cross, we see that we're set free because of it, not condemned because of it. Amen? So let's look at Colossians here because Paul kind of goes a little deeper here about the cross. And listen to what he says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And this is what he says before we knew Christ. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in your sins, you were lifeless. And then he says, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, 
actually nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So as we look at our sins and how the law condemned our sins and pointed to our sins, and the cross uh, uh, at first would be that condemning thing that, that would point to, to all our unrighteousness, God now turns it around to use it to set us free by actually nailing all our sins, all our shortness to the cross itself that Jesus died for, that we could find freedom. To the world, the cross represented pain and suffering as a, as a, as a torture device. But God turns this very thing into a symbol of healing and hope. See, the, the cross did not defeat Jesus as many would think. God actually uses it to show his power over suffering and pain that is the result of sin. See, the result of sin is pain and suffering, and that's where our world is today, the result of our own choices, of, our, of the bad choices that we've made. And the result of that is the consequences that we pay and that we live with each and every day. But the cross did not defeat Jesus. In fact, God used it to show his power over suffering and pain. That's the very result of sin. So what once represented represented pain and suffering, now we look at the cross and it's actually, that's where I find healing and hope for my life. Because Jesus defeated that on the cross 2,000 years ago. To the cross, the world would see it as pain and suffering, and it even represented death. No one got off the cross alive. So when someone was hanging on the cross, and what Rome would do is they would have these all over um, to symbolize their power. And if anyone came against Rome and their authority, uh, you were going to die this execution upon a cross. And so when you saw it, people would hang naked and it would be something that would be shameful. And it just, they knew that, you know, the cross was a death sentence. You were not going to come off that thing alive and you were going to give your very life on that cross. And so to the world, the cross represents death. And, and so what God does is he takes this thing that symbolizes death. And I think that's why for the first century world, they just didn't get it. They're like, I, we don't understand what the cross means and how can this be a symbol of life and victory when we don't see it that way. But to the world, the cross represented death, but then God turns it into a symbol of life, that Jesus actually conquered death and sin through the cross. The cross was not the last foe of Christ. Jesus is no longer there. The cross is empty. The grave is empty and he's alive. So now when we look at the cross, we see it as something of life and life-giving for us. The cross was, was the epitome of death, and now through Christ, it's the epitome of life that he gives to each and every one of us. What seemed so hopeless and meaningless and seemed like God's great weakness was now in reality God's ultimate victory. Now, now here's, here's what's interesting. It's interesting that God chose the cross, and God knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted us to see something here. Why would, because we think, was this just a random thing? No, God knew full in advance that, that he was going to use this cross, that he was going to use the cross, that, that, that the death of his son on the cross, he was going to use for his glory. Here's, 
here's, here's where we need to grasp this in our mind. Many times we look at the things of this world and we look at, at those things as maybe with a defeatist attitude. Like, how can God use this thing that seems so foolish and seems like nonsense to the world? How can God use this for his glory? Have you ever felt that way in your life? Where you're like, you're going through something and you're like, man, I don't know how God's going to use this. I don't know why I'm going through this thing. I don't know how God can use this. I want to encourage you this morning that the cross gives you the hope that even though with all our messiness and all our mistakes in our life, we're wondering, well, how can God use this for his glory? If he can use this thing for his glory, he can use our past for his glory. Can I get it? Are you with me? That This is the hope that we have because of the cross. So, so God wanted us to see something. What did God do with the cross? And, and what he did with the cross, he can do for you and I. And the thing that seems so senseless, without meaning, with no taste, saltless, God wants to use for his glory. Now, I want you to listen to Paul. Here's Paul at the end of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then he explains how God uses this cross for the glory of God, even though the Corinthians maybe are in a culture that they're being mocked and maybe the philosophers of that age are, are, are you know, putting their nose up to, to what Christianity is all about. And, and Paul had a lot of confrontations there and, and, and it was a very difficult culture for people to understand this because they thought they were so educated and so much higher than everyone else. And then Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 26 through 31. This is what he said. And this is how he encourages you and I today. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Many of you were from Wayne County. Not many, right? Not many of you were of noble birth, but listen, this is what he says. Now he's not putting them down, right? But what he's saying here is, I want you to understand this. He's encouraging them. Even though the world may say this, and even though the world may look at you, and even they may think your life is not that important. Listen to what he says in verse 27. He says, but God, but God, but God. I love when those words are in there because that means that God does something great next. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become the wisdom of, who, who for us the wis, is the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, my son plays football. Actually, both my sons play football. One plays in college, one plays in high school. And um, our team, our high school team, is a small team. We're small in numbers and small in, in stature. So many times when we play other teams, you know, you're, you're, you're scoping the other team. In football, how many of you know, if you're big, it's going to help you, right? If you're, if you're big, it's going to help you. And uh, we've got a player on our team who weighs about 90 pounds wet. And if you know anything about football, he is our full back, 
running fullback, okay? Now, is it hard to tackle someone that weighs 90 pounds? Yes. And it's interesting when I look at other teams, when they look at, because his legs are like this big. I mean, they're just, they're like toothpicks. I just don't know how he does it. And he just, and, and this kid is tenacious. That's all I can say. He's a tenacious football player. He has gotten, last week he had over 200 yards rushing. La- yesterday he had 227 yards rushing. Three weeks ago he had 156 yards rushing. The other team, it's interesting when the team looks and we walk on a team and they look at this guy standing in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the backfield and they're like, huh? What? This kid should be in peewee football, right? And what I love about this when I was reading through this scripture, this is what came to my mind. What other people see as weakness, and maybe what other people think, well, this kid can't do it. God just uses that boy for his glory. He just uses him for his glory. That's what I believe. And he's tenacious. Now, Wesley, my son, weighs about 210, so he's a little bit bigger. He plays two back, which is a halfback, and he's the blocking guy. So yesterday was, there was this one play. I just got to shoot it because it was just so cool. So Wesley blocks for him. So um, he did this play where Cameron's behind Wesley and Wesley went to, to block the defensive end and Cameron basically jumped off Wesley's back. He did this whole pirouette thing off his back, used him and did this pirouette in the air and ran another eight yards. It was just a thing of beauty, you know, using your own player as this thing. So it was just great because Wesley weighs like three times more than him. So it just worked out really well. But I love, don't you love when, when, Things like that surprise you when things that you think, how is this going to work? Or how, you know, when we look at man and we look at their stature and we look at their wisdom and we think, oh, they're so smart and everybody. And then all of a sudden God, out of the voice of babes or out of the voice of children come the wisdom of God and just, you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden God uses it for his glory. That's how God works in our lives. See, what Paul's saying is this. He says, you know, how many of you, you looked at yourself and you said, I'm pretty weak. You know, there's nothing great in me. Um, you know, how can, how can God use my life? And God says, I'm going to use those things for my glory. The things that you think are weak and nonsense and how can God use my past? God says, I'm going to use it for my glory. You see, we live in a world that when, when we're asked about our, um, what is our greatest weakness, it's usually not fun to, to glory in our weakness, is it? Um, especially if you're going on a job interview. And if you're going on a job interview, many times the employer will ask you, um, can you give me some of your weaknesses? Now, if you were to say, you know, I don't like people, they irritate me, um, I got fired at all my other jobs because, you know, I didn't like my boss, you know, because he, he or she was a jerk. You know, if you say things like that, or if you say, you know, I'm always late. I like to sleep in. You know, um, I get sick a lot. You know, you know, so, you know, it depends how things go. So just that's the way it is. You know, are you going to get hired? There's, there's no way. But you'd never get hired. But, but we, we do things like this. We'll say, we'll come up with our weakness that sounds more like our strengths. We're, we're like, you know, my biggest weakness is I'm just too nice. You know, my biggest weakness is I just always like to do things perfectly. You know, my, I, my weakness is I'm just a perfectionist. 
My weakness is I just work too hard. I'm a workaholic. You know, that's my greatest weakness. See, the reason we do this is for the simple reason that we see meekness as weakness. We see weakness as meekness. I remember over the last NBA season, uh, LeBron James said that he was the greatest basketball player in the world. Um, and then they lost the NBA Finals. But anyways, whatever, right? Um, is, that, is that confidence or is that boasting? See, God says this. Here's what God says. God says, I'm going to use the weak things. He uses our weak things for his glory. He says, I'll use your weakness for my strength. And so what he does is God took the cross and he used it for his power to say that when I am weak, he is strong. My past, my abuse, my addiction, my mistakes, God says, oh yeah, watch me. Because the very same thing I did with the cross, I can do with your life. I'll turn it all around for my glory. Watch what I can do with this thing. God says, let go of your need to be in control, your need to get glory, to be accepted, or to boast in our accomplishments. And what God does is he takes our lives that were so messed up, that seem so hopeless, so defeated, and he turns it around as a testimony of hope. That's what Christ does. That's the power of the message of the cross. That he takes the weak things and the meek things and he uses it for his glory. See, I don't know, I don't know where you are today and I don't know if, if following Jesus is hard for you because you, you may think like, well, I just can't live up to the standards that, um, that, that I feel a Christian should be. I don't know where you got that from because that's not coming from the Bible. I don't know if you got that from going somewhere else or hearing that from other people, but that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says that when we are weak, he is strong. That when we admit that we need a savior, I think what happens in our Christian walk, we're, we're, we, we become that person that um, is like, doing the job interview with the, with the employer where they're, they're afraid to admit, you know, some of their weaknesses and really their weaknesses are really their, their strengths undercover. And God says, just come to me with your, I, I know your life. I know your background. I know all those things. And, and I think for me, that's what I love about hearing testimonies from other people and their background and what God saved them out of. How many of you came to the cross because you were humbled how many of you came to the cross of Christ because something happened in your life that brought you to your knees? How many of you came to the cross because you just realized you don't have all the answers? You see, when we come to that point in our life in humility and bowing before Christ because we admit that we don't have all the answers, those are the people that God uses. Those are the people that God will not turn away. God actually opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I think what happens in our Christian walk is we have to be so careful 
from allowing our hearts to become prideful and full of knowledge that we forget where we came from. And I think sometimes we need to look back from where we came from. I love, I just love watching documentaries and interviews and I love seeing these football players, NBA players, when they go back to their hometown where they came from. It humbles them because they're like, this is where I came from. This is where I grew up. This, this was the house I grew up in. It's, you know, and for a lot of them, they see it as a blessing and from, from, you know, from using uh, leverage from either a professional career where they made a lot of money and they, just, they give back to their community because they realize where they came from and they never forget about their roots. And I think for us, we got to keep coming back to the cross. we got to keep coming back there. When you feel like you've messed up too much and you feel like your life's not worthy and you feel like, man, can God use this? Here's, 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 here's my encouragement to you. You keep coming back to here because God uses this thing as the epitome of his glory. That's why it's hanging on our wall. That's why we wear it as jewelry because it's the epitome. It's not shameful anymore. It's not a picture of defeat anymore. It's the picture of God's grace. And some of you here, you just need God's grace in your life. You feel beat up. You feel condemned for whatever it is. Just come to him and allow God to forgive you with all your faults and all your mess ups. Don't hide it from him. In fact, he loves it when you expose it to him because he already knows it. And when we show him our heart and we say, God, I've fallen so short in this way or you know, I've tried to figure you out intellectually and it just, it just doesn't work. Allow the Spirit of God, the foolishness that it seems to change your heart. The foolishness of the preaching of the cross. And for those that are being saved, they see the power of it. Now to the world, it just seems so foolish and it seems so, you know, unintelligent. But how many of you that have been saved say, God changed my life. God is so good. And he's so humble. And he's so gracious to us. So as we come to the Lord's table today, as we ask God just to, to deal with our hearts, this is what communion is all about. We're, we're understanding. We're recognizing. We're remembering the power of the cross. That it's through his sacrifice that our sins are forgiven today. And so I don't know what you need to bring to the cross. Some of you need to drag some things to the cross today. I don't know what it is. But bring it to the cross today. And allow God to use it for his glory. I think the thing that the world needs to see more than anything else in a Christian, a true follower of Christ, is transparency. I think too many times we try to set ourselves up better than we really are because we're afraid of what the world might think. God didn't care about that. Jesus didn't care what the world thought. He didn't care what the world thought when he hung out with sinners. God didn't care what the world thought when he used the cross as the symbol of our victory.
So as we're hanging out with people and we just say, hey, you know what? My life isn't perfect. I've got a lot of hang-ups. But I thank God for his grace that he's helping me each and every day. That's what the world needs to hear.